Hello, movie friends, and welcome back to Raiders of the Lost podcast and another episode of Letterboxd Recap, where we go through our Letterboxd watches as well as rating the Letterboxd top four of five of you fans. James, how was movie watching this week for you? I got five in. Hell yeah. Five in, and they're all rewatches. Ex- no, no, two new movies for me, actually. What were they? Oh, wait, we'll get to them. Two movies I'd never I'm, seen before. I'm curious. Three I'm rewatches. Uh-huh. And this comes off of we had that Captain America episode, so I watched three Captain America movies in a row, which is the last <laughs> day before we filmed this. But I have five movies on my week of Letterboxd recap. I have 10 this week. Of course you do. And I, and I changed it up a bit. I've been watching a lot of uh, franchise movies the past two weeks. So I did uh, two. Tr- I did. Three trilogies in the past three weeks. Uh, so I, I just wanted some... I was craving some big studio stuff, honestly, every once in a while. It's like just nice to like... Yeah. The palatable mainstream stuff, when it's done right, is just still such a great escape. Can't beat it, man. Yeah. Can't beat it. So I'll get into my first two, and then you can give us your first, and then we can rate the top four or five fans. How's that sound? That sounds like a really good plan, Anthony. Thanks, man. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I said sarcasm. What? A little. Even in that what? I've never been sarcastic in my entire life. All right. I finished out. So I ended last week with the Pirates of the Caribbean. So I finished the trilogy, the first three. So I watched Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Now, Dead Man's Chest, it's basically, I wrote, I gave it four stars. I wrote the Temple of Doom of the Pirates movies. So the movie has a lot going for it, but I do think they lean a little heavily into the Temple of Doom. And the movie, once it gets kicking after the first hour, is really fantastic. But I will say, when we're landlocked for the first hour with like the native tribe trying to cook Jack and all that, I kind of am losing it a little bit. Once it gets on water, though, that's its strength. Yeah, Pirates movies are best on water. Yeah, They really are. It is a lot of fun, but it, the comedy doesn't quite work in that first hour. And on top of that, though, the cinematography is fantastic. Gore Verbinski is a visually film, great filmmaker. The cinematography, the coloring, the editing, all of the production elements are just top of the game. But I gotta say, man, once Davy Jones comes in, it's fucking awesome. And yeah. Davy Jones, the CGI of Davy Jones, I was watching it and I was like, how is this not real? It's like Avatar level quality. And I can't, like, I was watching this movie was made in 2006, all right? I was watching this, and I, there are multiple times where I was like, that looks like it's fucking real texture of his face. It's just so impressive what they did with the visual effects of this film. Did we talk way. about this in last week's episode? I think I talked about it in something. Yeah, because I remember you talking about David Jones' t- tentacles and everything. Like yeah, the yeah. I, face. I, I talked about it, I think, when I went over Curse of the Black Pearl or Maybe, something. yeah. But yeah. man, I was just blown away. And then I finished up with Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. I thought I liked this one. A lot more than I actually do. This movie gave it three and a half stars. There's a reason why the Pirates, before they made the fourth film, why the Pirates trilogy was never really mentioned in the top tier trilogies because it ended on a pretty low note. There's a lot of elements to At World's End that really worked. There's great music, again, great filmmaking and acting, but it's the script and the plot. It's very muddled. It's very meandering and it's very convoluted. And sometimes it's pretty boring there's about an hour of this movie where really not much happens at all and there's quite a little bit too much talking for a big action adventure it does end on a grand 40 minute climax but 
I gotta say, man, the first hour of this movie was kind of a slog, and I was surprised. I always, in my head, I think because I like the music the best, I always pictured At World's End as being a, one of the better ones, but I gotta put that, that man's chest over it. It's different from the others, but you can look at it, so many pros and cons, it's basically like a blueprint for what they did with the Avengers in terms of like so many different storylines going on at the same time. So it was kind of like, I, I remember reading that they kind of looked at that movie uh-huh. as like a prototype of like how to tell a story with... It is a big cast. That's right. It makes a huge sense. cast. There's a lot going on. And I think Infinity War and Endgame, the Russo brothers and the team at Marvel really took a lot of influence from, from At World's well, End. I mean, Disney with, helped make it. Yeah, so that so, makes sense. So I think, yeah. that, I think this was kind of like the first time, not the first time, but maybe on the scale telling a story like that yeah so obviously it's not perfect yeah no yeah it is it is massive and by the third film there are a lot of main players it's not just the trio mm-hmm. and a villain it's there's like literally a dozen main it's like players. five plots yeah all connected so it, it does to get to be a little too much but it's still fun what you got next you got you next oh me next i'm next my first watch of the week was 28 Days Later. Nice. We did, a, obviously, a zombie and vampire movie episode yesterday, which you should check out. We basically just talked about both these creatures in cinema, the pros and cons to them, the strengths and weaknesses, which works better in specific scenarios, plot devices, characters. It was a really fun discussion, so check it out. We went over, like, 30 different movies and characters from cinema with the creatures. But 28 Days Later is my favorite zombie movie, and I believe I, in the episode I chose as my favorite va- zombie vampire movie in general. It's an excellent film. Danny Boyle is a brilliant director. Even though he shot it on those HD TV well. cameras, I really wish he shot it on film, man. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Dude, it's like the low resolution is really noticeable it nowadays. Works, it works to an extent, you know, because it's got like the grime and, and just kind of this lo-fi quality. It adds a little bit, and it still looks terrific. But the cinematography is excellent, but I wish she was really using really good cameras because there's some so many really interesting shots in terms of getting these isolated locations and cities that must be so hard to do. They only did it because they shot digital, though. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's it's such a good movie that it's still timeless, even though they shot it on terrible cameras. That just says so much about the filmmaking, the acting, the story, the concept. It's so good. That he shot on these crappy DV cameras, and I still watch it, and I still love it. It's yeah, it's it's still watchable for sure. However, when you Google search Twenty Days Later, the best looking images are actual still photos. Yeah, from on set. Like yeah. there's a great one of him getting chased by the priest on fire, and you're like, oh, that's great. And then in the movie, you know, the thing is for me, it's the faces, the the lack of clarity of you know texture of the skin and the sharpness of people's faces and their eyes that kind of. It makes it a little bit harder to watch as the years go on, as our as our brains get used to 4K and 6K. There's not a lot of information in the exactly. image. Exactly, thing. Yeah, that's the it problem. It works to an extent, though. Yes. It kind of. If you watch it on your phone, it looks great. Yeah, but I'm, I'm yeah. watching yeah. my Disney on my phone, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that movie so much. So, what was your rating? Five stars. Hell yeah, five I stars. I agree with that. It's so good. The third act. Oh my god, it's a great it's script by Alex Garland. Great it's a ending. Great script. And I hope they get to make 28 months later. I really do. We'll see. All right, time to rate the top four of five of you. So we got a ton of entrants. All you have to do to enter is just screenshot your letterboxed and DM us, and we will add it to the list of over 100 that we have right now, and we'll get to five every episode. Yeah, we get a shit ton. Now, to start off, we got Nick Nick Coughlin. I hope that's right. Uh, Terrible reviews. I also make movies. Nick Patrick on Instagram. (laughs) <laughs> Terrible reviews. I love that. So we got her, 
Manchester by the sea before sunrise and then do the right thing. Nick, you are a romantic at heart. For real. Yeah, you I got love, it. love on the mind. I, I really like it too. But also three different kinds of romance. We yeah. get the straight up tragedy with Manchester by the sea. We get uh, Lonely Hearts Club with her. And then we get uh, fantasy and true love before sunrise. I mean, yeah, and do the right thing has love as well. Yeah, that's true. Good that's love true. story in there. So I really, I really love that selection. That's Nick. awesome. That's really great stuff. Because hers, you know, y'all know how much I love her. <laughs> y'all know. I just read that Sofia Coppola hasn't watched it, and she said she never will. Yeah, well, she said I don't want to watch a movie where Rooney Mara plays, plays me. me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I get it. I, I can't I don't blame I mean, her. I don't blame her either, man. I, I totally understand that. Next up, we got <clears throat> Alex Biscardi. Awesome fan of the show. Alex! Uh, we have some great choices. So Alex is an Italiano, so he's got some good Italian taste. <laughs> so he has La Dolce Vita. Nice. Once Upon a Time in America by Sergio Leone. Raging Bull. Great pick for a top Scorsese. And then you got to throw in Dazed and Confused. Absolutely. An Italian classic. I actually have... <laughs> 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 it took a second for that to register. <laughs> the Italian movie of our times. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing screams Italian Days like this. Confused. <laughs> confused. Oh my god, that's so funny. Uh, I have actually had the La Dolce Vita poster behind me. I love that movie. It's really special. And then Sergio Le- Sergio Leone uh, actually filming in America with Once Upon a Time in America, which which is really cool. This is a great set of movies. I think Days of Confused is an all timer too. Yeah, did you hear about Richard Linklater's new movie with Glenn Powell? Yeah, The Hitman. What called, about it? Called Hitman. It just got b- bought by Netflix. So oh, it, nice. Netflix has The Killer and Hitman coming up both this year. Hitman movies are hot this year. Three of them played at Venice. Three Hitman movies. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know that Glenn Powell was making a movie with him. Oh, you didn't know? I didn't know. They were There were photos of it because uh, I think Sidney Sweeney's in it too. No, they're, Sidney Sweeney's in a rom-com that... With him? With Glenn okay, Powell. Okay, never mind. They have an R-rated rom-com coming out. Never mind. Forget, forget I said anything. When they're on the yacht and yeah, yeah. I would. I'm really curious to see Richard Linklater do uh, violence of any kind. Yeah, me too. That's something man. he's never approached. Well, Days and Confused, there's some, there's some violence. Well, there's in there. yeah, there's this, this, the uh, paddleboard. Yeah, it's just stuff. brutal. But man. I'm talking like killing someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking like really destroying someone. I'm sure. I'm there's curious. a lot of emotional violence in his movies. <laughs> there, there is. <laughs> it's like Age of Innocence. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, next up. Thanks for sending that in, Alex. Next up, we got Jose. I hope I said it right. It's got two S's. J-O-S-S-E. I hope I said that right. I don't think so, man. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. That's why Anthony does it. <laughs> Letterbox since 2021. Nice. All right. Also, they have, it seems like it's like the text of the arrival aliens for their profile photo, which is cool. Cool. All right, top four. We got some bangers. Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Perfect movie. Whiplash. Perfect movie. Perfect movie. Seven. Perfect, perfect movie. movie. Memento. Perfect, perfect movie. Perfect, perfect movie. There's a bunch of perfect movies. Perfect top four. Holy crap. That's excellent. Love it. I love your taste in cinema, too. Yeah, we get thrillers. Sci-fi action. Yeah. Drama. Horror. And then, yeah, the murder Just mystery. Kind of like dark mysteries. And then they have recently watched Bones and All. Gave it four and a half stars. X. Three and a half stars. Mad Heyday. Mad Mad Heidi, I fucking I'm terrible at reading. Mad Heidi, two and a half stars. Never heard of that movie. And then Cocaine Bear, four stars. Wow, Cocaine Bear, four stars. Nice. Thanks for sending that in. That's I awesome. I like your review, your rating of Bones and All. I also yeah. give that a four and a half. Bones and All is awesome. Loved it. 
Bones and all. Bones all. <laughs> all right, next up, we got Archie. Great fan of the show. We got the good, the bad, and the really cool. I'm just kidding, the ugly. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then The Godfather. Guess which part? Part due. See. <laughs> Archie, you got great taste. James also prefers Godfather Part 2 as well. Well, it's just my... I li- James I, thinks The Godfather 1 is the worst movie ever made. I think The Godfather is a better movie, but I like The Godfather Part 2 more. I just love... I love Vito. I do. I love his background. And I love his backstory. And v- Vito Origins, baby. Best origin story ever. I mean, you can't argue with that, man. In terms of origin stories, that's up there. It has to be the best origin story of all time. I can't think of a better one. And it's quite... Di- I, I believe that Coppola added some stuff that wasn't in the book. Well, I mean, both films have stuff yeah, that wasn't plenty. in the book. But it's really fascinating how they did it. The That old New York set, man. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, holy fuck, I can't believe they built the set. Can you believe they used to make movies like that? I can't. Not anymore. I can not anymore. I mean, Gangs of New York was like the last movie I can think of that looked like that. For like a epic New York Massive City? Massive period piece, exterior New York City, not with green screens, not with backgrounds. Um, Yeah. I mean, because the Sherlock movies do a great job, but oftentimes they use green screens. They'll, a shoot a, they'll shoot a block or two, but then they'll green yeah. screen out the rest. So I think that, yeah, the Scorsese was the last one to do a huge metropolitan city set in a period setting that huge before. Because the four points is massive set. That's five a points. huge set. Five, five points. points. The five points is a massive set. Five points is a fist. <laughs> have you even seen Gangs in New York? Just because you saw the two, it recently, it's, two it's fresher half, in your mind. It's the two and a half points, right? You just watched it a week ago, so it's fresh in your mind, so shut the fuck up. Well, I already knew that because he does the five All fingers right, metaphor. I, mean, the I fist said metaphor. the wrong number. I gotta get you. I'm gonna, for that, I'm gonna give you a fist, bro. Right in the fucking <laughs> a, a knuckle sandwich. Right in the. I'm gonna give you a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we got Ben J D Hardy, part of the Hardy brothers. I'm just kidding. I'm not sure. <laughs> we got 2001: A Space Odyssey. Then we got Pulp Fiction, back to back pulps. A Bronx Tale, directed by the one and only Robert De Niro. And then. We got Grand Budapest Hotel. Love it. Wes I have, tw- I have 2001 film. right now, my number one favorite. Oh, nice. I have my space movies one. Brock's Tale is good. It's a good movie. It's, a good movie. It's, it's actually based on the play that Chaz Palminteri wrote and starred in. He played the gangster. And then De Niro adapted it into the film and cast Palminteri as the gangster for the film. It has such a good girlfriend test scene where... What is it? So he's telling the kid, his like mentor, he's telling him... Because he likes this girl. He's going to take her on a date. Sure. And he says, you got to test her. This is what you do. When you, you pick her up in your car and you unlock the door and you open the door for her and let her sit in the front seat. And then you go around the car. If she goes and unlocks the door for you, she's a keeper. So she goes over and unlocks the door for him to get in. Uh-huh. So that's like the girlfriend test. Oh, like, wow. If this is a keeper, back when cars you had to yeah. uh, manually, manually unlock them. Unlock them. Well, he could have now used you his can't key. you can't perform that test anymore. But like he could have used his key, obviously. Sure. But it shows that she's thinking of him and and you know cares about him and it's girlfriend material right there, that or is, boyfriend material. That is girlfriend but, material. But yeah, it's the girlfriend test. It's, <clears throat> it's a great scene. I like that. Me too. I like that. All all right. Right. It's a great movie. Let's get into our first of all. Thank, but thank you to everyone for sending those in. Those are some good good movies. I can't wait to get to next week, though. Absolutely. 
I love rating the top. It's fours. a lot of fun. Yeah, I love hearing what people's favorite movies are, and I like seeing what people are watching too. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention what uh, he's watching. Real quick. Sorry, I deleted it. It's okay. I mean, we're, we got nowhere to go. <laughs> Usually, you're in the rush. <laughs> All right. So recently, Ben has watched Snakes on a Plane. Two and a, two and a half stars. <laughs> Hustle, Adam Sandler's film, three and a half stars. Drive, four four stars. And then Prisoners, four and a half stars. Oh, so you watched the movie that's about my life with Drive. <laughs> I'm literally him. It's literally my my L- biopic. Literally me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, getting back to us. I was just like, because I started with Pirates of the Caribbean, and then well, I, Captain uh, Captain America and then Pirates. And then we saw Goblet last week. I was like, I'm in. A, I'm just in a mood for big movies, franchise blockbusters. So I watched Gravity, Alfonso Cuarón's film, which came out in 2013. Are you kidding me? Ten years. This movie's ten years old. Holy crap! I can't believe that. How old am I? Very old. Scary Be- stuff. Because this movie was a huge deal when it came out. A lot of Oscar nominations. Sandra won. Sandra won. Um, Alfonso didn't, didn't win, win, but uh, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki won. Lubezki won cinematography. Yes. And, it, and, it, and it made $650 million. It made that much money? It was a huge hit. That's why Sandra Bullock's one of the highest paid actors of all time for this movie. She made $75 million. That's probably why she doesn't act as much anymore. Yeah, <laughs> She's exactly. like, I, I made some good money. She made a, I think she made a 10% back-end deal to star in the film. And yes. so she got 10% of box office. That's and absurd. the movie made a fucking shit ton of movies. Absurd. Money. The movie's fantastic. It really is. It's, I mean, it's, it's, scientifically, it's not super accurate, but it's still yeah. Blast. That's the thing is, it's not a perfect movie visually. It's up there with Avatar in terms of visual effects. It is that good. Yeah, I was watching this movie on my new TV, fifty-five inch, and I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't see a moment that didn't look real. No, it, it looks, it looks incredible. It looks and they really wonderful. So much incredible technology to make this movie, and I think it's just an astounding achievement in filmmaking. Yeah. The one con with me with gravity, the, it just t- holds me back from giving it a five, is the scientific inaccuracy in terms of, like, these satellites being so close together that you can just, like, satellite hop. Yes, it, yes, yes. It just yeah. takes away from the reality of how massive space is, and even if you're in orbit around the Earth, like, how much space there is and how much distance there's, there is. There would be literally oceans of distance between, like, satellites. And yeah, and like it's that. not just satellites, but stations, too. Station, space yeah, space stations, yeah, yeah specifically. Because she space goes stations. to a space station. That's what I meant, yeah. So... And it's the thing is that's one thing, but also and then also, but on top of that, the there is so much scientific accuracy. No, yeah, it. there is a lot. There yeah. is, but there is that thing. But then also George Clooney's death takes me out of it too because he dies. Um, they're getting onto the space station after the first disaster, and then another hit by the debris hits the station, causing everything to go fucking haywire, and they're getting launched into the air, and then she. Gets wrapped up. She grabs the some cords or ropes or something from the space station, but Clooney is go is still free free flying. So she grabs him. So they are holding on by a strap. He's holding the strap, and then she's holding the other end, and that's what's holding Clooney on. Like if he lets like, but what happens is the the movement, the velocity of George Clooney's movement stops in real space. Once that stopped, she should be able to pull him because she's attached to the heavy space station. So she's got all of she, – he should not – but in the film, he's, he's, he's continuing to pull. You know what I mean? His body is literally pulling even though she's attached to a space station. In, re, in real life, he should have – his movement should have stopped, and he could have easily just floated back to her. But this, it's, you, you need it to get her alone. 
He needs to die somehow. It would have worked better if they were spinning. Because that would have had that would have had a constant velocity. However, I think they just couldn't figure out how to do it. So when she lets go to Clo lets go to Clooney, Clooney drifts off. It's like that doesn't make any sense. Once they were stopped, they sh they're stopped. It's their space. They're in space. It shouldn't continue going. But you accept it. You accept it. Yeah, I didn't even notice it the first time I saw the film, but now I've watched it on rewatches. I I noticed it. But that being said, it's a brilliant film. Alfonso Cuarón is unbelievable. Sandra Bullock, she earned that money. <laughs> She did. She heard that movie. She's she, incredible. She carries it. She carries it. And the visual effects team and the entire production did a wonderful job with this film. Yeah. I love I love Gravity. I, I really give it do. four and a half stars. Incredible. But I just I can't give it a five star rating because of those two things. Excellent ending as well. Oh yeah, big time. Big time. And then I watched we watched Haunting in Venice. Yeah. Which I gave four stars and I wrote and letterboxed. Every movie has been set in Italy this year. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's third adaptation of Agatha Christie's Fame Detective is his best. This time, he used some excellent horror elements in the filmmaking and took advantage of the stunning sets, sights of Venice. Beautiful cinematography and a lush production are the highlights, and the cast is a lot of fun. Definitely recommend for fans of the franchise. I had a really good time with this film. I gave it four stars, A Haunting in Venice. Nice. I wrote, gorgeously shot, well acted, and deliciously spooky. Ooh, deliciously spooky. I like that. Brana doesn't miss with his murder mystery franchise. And Matteo Salvatore, he asked a question. He said, is this related to the murder on the Orient Express and Death in the Nile series? And yes, so these are all adaptations of Agatha Christie novels. This is an Agatha Christie novel. They all are. So that's what he's making. He's making adaptations of her books. Yeah, I think this is really good. Fans don't really love the films, but I think they're awesome. They're a good time. They really are. And this one was different. You know, he went kind of supernatural and spooky and scary. And the other films have scary elements as well. I mean, there's that mystery and there's a murder taking place. And it's the same kind of setup that you want from your murder mysteries. You know, I think maybe that's why some people are put off like, oh, great, another murder. But that's the way they work. You know, there's a group of people. And someone gets killed. It's like an action movie. And then has, we yeah. have, have Hercule Poirot has to figure out who committed the murder. That's the way it works. And it's a blueprint for every one of these movies, every one of these stories that Agatha Christie wrote. And I think it's just executed so well. It's gorgeous, man. This movie was shot all over Venice. So many great exteriors. It feels like you're in the city. And, I mean, if you've ever been to Italy, it's a magical place. And Venice is like nowhere else in the world. And I loved seeing it on the big screen so much, as well as some beautiful interiors, these great sets that they built. It was terrific, and I had a lot of fun. And um, they do a good job displaying suspicion to other characters. I was pretty much figured out who it was kind of early, but didn't take away my enjoyment from the movie at all. And I like how each film is very different in terms of the look and setting. So the first film is obviously in the Arctic of the murder on the Orient Express, and then the second film is in Egypt on the water, and then the third film is in Venice. And they all look very different. I, I like how he changes the aesthetic completely every time. Me too, man. Me too. So that was my next watch. All right, my next watch was Sideways from 2004, a great Alexander Payne film. This is about uh, two friends, played by Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church, who go up to wine country before Thomas A. and Church's wedding to go all out. Paul Giamatti thinks they're just going wine tasting, but Thomas A. and Church has plans to get laid one last time before he <laughs> gets married. It's a funny, like, adult coming-of-age film. Uh -huh. And um, it's just, like, great uh, adult humor, adult references, and then relatability. Also, it kind of shows both the the interesting quality of being an expert in wine, but also the... 
the pretentious nature of it as well, of just being too much. And it's a great comedy. Alexander Payne is a wonderful writer and director. No one makes movies like him. I, I really like this film. It's it's really funny. And uh, Sandra Oh is also in it. And she's great. Then I watched American Gangster nice. from Ridley Scott. They just added it to Max. My man. My man. Gave it four and a half stars. I wrote, this would be the best film for a lot of directors, but for Ridley, it's like number 10. <laughs> <laughs> and then... um. I just, uh, a few people commented, so I just said, I put Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, Blackhawk, Down, Last Duel, Thelma and Louis, Kingdom of Heaven, and The Martian over this. Uh, because as, I mean, those, I think those films are brilliant, and most of those are perfect. American Gangster, I think, is one of the more underrated crime epics. It's really, really magnificent. It does run a little long, uh, but in a lot of ways, you need the story to be that epic. But Denzel is amazing. Russell Crowe is fantastic. The two goats just working with one of the other goats of all time. And now I'm really excited to see another collaboration between Ridley Scott and Denzel with Gladiator 2. But American Gangster is really, really wonderful movie. The first hour is just like, God damn it, this is fucking good. Dude, The Martian is still it's, one of Ridley's best movies. The Martian is a perfect movie. It's an incredible yeah. film. It's just so underrated, in my opinion. It was very successful when it came out, but no one talks about it anymore. Why is it anyone talking about it? I want to watch it tonight, I think. I think I'll watch The Martian later. It's only a 3.7 on Letterboxd. I guess, but... I feel like it's uh, at least a 4. It's really good. 3.7 on Letterboxd is like a 7.5. That's pretty good. Yeah, I guess. 7.4, 7.5-ish. I think that's... I just want it to be more. No, but I think it's a really, really good movie. Same. And I think some people maybe forgot that Ridley Scott made that one. And uh, best actor in a comedy, Golden Globe, Matt Damon. <laughs> How do we get Matt Damon to the Golden Globes this year? Let's say The Martian's a comedy. I mean, what? It's about a guy getting trapped on Mars. Yeah, but they're, like, he's sarcastic. He says a couple one-liners. <laughs> so dumb. It well, is a very funny movie, though. It's funny, but yeah. it's not a comedy at yeah. all. At all. <laughs> all right, my next watch was 28 Weeks Later. Nice. Finish it out. Had to. Now, obviously, it's the weaker of the two films. And the scope is bigger. It's very different. But what's, yeah. what I, I like the differences in it in terms of, you know, now we have NATO coming over into the UK, which is under quarantine. What's the, NATO stand for? The Na National Alliance, Alliance of, of Treaty Operations? Na no. <laughs> yeah, we're good American. We're good citizens. Uh, we're good global citizens. NATO is North Atlantic Treaty organization we were nowhere near that <laughs> it was created <laughs> i knew like what it i know what it is but like i didn't know what it stood for <laughs> because it was made uh, after world war ii so it's the group like oh god yeah it's the alliance United States, of yes, Canada, yes 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 i got it yeah, yeah it was everyone who was like fuck communism yeah <laughs> that's it what, that's what nato is it's like fuck the soviet union yeah. you guys suck it's basically anti-communism yeah, spreading yeah well and obviously alliance. nato is yes. so relevant in our lives the last year yes. with ukraine i remember i actually in read about, i read a lot about it a couple months ago and i remember now so nato basically takes over control of the uk which is still having its zombie apocalypse and having an outbreak and it's basically I guess you could say a great metaphor for modern contemporary war machines, specifically with America, NATO going in, the United States basically military control over a country. Uh -huh. And that's basically what's happening. Yeah. It's really interesting how— Like being the police. Yeah, exactly. So it's actually fascinating to take that element, which happens so often, and then put it in a zombie movie, which would probably be exactly what would happen if there really was a zombie outbreak in the U.K., 
and it's quarantined there, but it's still alive, it's still growing, and we don't want it to spread anywhere, what's going to happen? Obviously, NATO is going to take over, and obviously, the United States is going to take over and, like you said, act as the military and police for the situation. And we get two big stars before they were big stars, Rose Byrne and... And um, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner, Renner are the co-leads of this film. It's ex, dude. Jeremy Renner is so good in yeah, this movie he's great. because this is obviously this before, is when he like did SWAT. Yeah, he did SWAT. They, and he's oh, he's a, oftentimes a bad guy in movies. He played the bad guy, but for then the 2000s. so I saw him in SWAT and some other stuff where he's a baddie. But then in this movie, I was like, oh, this guy's he's a awesome. great guy in this movie. He's like a true. He like sacrifices himself. He's yeah, a great hero. Yeah, and then obviously he goes on to do the Hurt Locker and becomes a fucking. Avenger. Megastar, yeah, an Avenger after that. But this movie's excellent, and the cast is great. I mean, John Luzamo is in there as well. Uh, Imagine, oh my god, Image and Pootsie, your girls in there. Oh yeah. So it's well acted. Who's the boy? Is it? Uh, is you, is he like a big actor now? I can't. Oh, I'm me... trying to. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. It's uh, what is his name? And the plot is like the containment area gets um uh breached again, and then it's just all 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 out fucking slaughter inside, right? Inside the wall, basically, so he, yeah, yeah. Until I don't obviously, the and then Carlisle, he like has like a a job inside the new community doing something, something like that. Yeah. And Robert Carlisle has one of the best opening scenes ever in a horror yeah. movie where he's running from the family. I mean, he leaves his family in the ho- in a home and he has to run from the zombies. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really good sequel, and I think they can, but it still felt a little too studio. What did you rate it? I gave it a four because yeah. when it comes to zombie movies, it's still a really good one. Mm-hmm. How's the gore? The gore is excellent. Yeah. It's it's. I it's remember. Great. Um, wasn't Renner and his other sniper buddy like they're sniping zombies and joking about Basically, it? Basically, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. remember. Yeah, he's a sniper, and um, like I said, because the U.S. government comes over and takes control, NATO mm-hmm. takes control. And when it comes to zombie movies, I think it's really solid, and they expanded obviously on what they could do with Twenty Eight Days Later going forward. But I think it gets a little too studio and a little uh-huh. too Hollywood at times, of course. A little more studio oversight with the sequel. But I think if they really do make 28, 28 months later, and I think if Danny Boyle makes it— No, it's going to be 28 years later. 28 years later. That's oh, what they're sh- talking about. Snap, yeah, you're it's right. It's been that it long. It would be 28 years later because yeah. it's 2002. Yeah. I hope they get to make it because if Danny Boyle's on board to direct, and if Alex Garland said he wrote a script already or he has an idea for his script and then— I mean, if we you gotta have, get Killian, you have, have to Killian, Killian come back, and then we have um, Rose Byrne could could show up. Rose, Byrne, no, not a, no, but um, Celine, what's her name? Um, Celine who? Who plays Celine in Twenty Days Later? Um, crap, crap, crap. Oh, um, Naomi Harris. Naomi Harris. Yeah, forget Naomi Harris. Yeah, and Kelly Murphy back for Twenty Days Later. Yeah. That would be the way to go, and I think you could really do something better than Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Mm-hmm. And on par with 28 Days Later. I think you really could. Did Boyle direct this one? No. Okay, that's why. No, it was directed by... Matthew Vaughn? No. Hold on. Let me, give me one sec. I can't think of... And, but Alex Garland didn't write this one. Yeah, no wonder why it's not as good. It's Yeah, it's... But, like, at, at, again, and that's why I gave it four stars, because... It's still, it's still good, a yeah. good zombie movie. It's still a solid zombie movie, because we don't get a ton yeah, of great directed ones. That? It was directed by... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Juan Carlos Fresnadillo. I don't know him. I don't know. All right. Uh, yeah, but it's still <clears throat> solid. It works. They better make another one. That'd be fucking sick. All right. Time for the next franchise of my week. I watched the Oceans franchise, baby. 
Man, it's good. Hell yeah, man. You know how much I love these? Yeah. You always used to have it on the background. Now I understand why. They're <laughs> so great. fun. I mean, I've always loved them, but I've never watched them as much as you have. They're great background movies for if you're doing work or yeah. something. Like, they really are. Because the music's great. The energy's great. It's, it's all there. Cool. Yeah, it's good it's vibes. Cool as fuck. It's good vibes. So, Ocean's Eleven, I gave it four and a half stars. And I wrote, coolest movie ever? Yes. <laughs> it's up there. <laughs> it's up there. It came out 2001. Oh, my God. It's an amazing uh, remake because the original... Had some of the biggest stars of the 60s in it, including most of the Rat Pack. And then we basically get the modern Rat Pack with, you know, Clooney, Pitt, Damon, Julie Roberts, Garcia, Don Cheadle. Bun- I mean, Bernie Max in this. Crazy, the cast of this movie. It's unbelievable. And it's just, the first film is just really just an amazing comedy, heist film, crime movie. Uh, and Soderbergh is... He's such a cool director. He does things his own way. He's also an extremely visually talented director. I like the way he frames. I like the way he, he shoots his shots. He doesn't care about coverage. He'll he'll do a two-shot of a reflection, and he likes to do these really intricate wonders where it's not so much following characters around but like using different angles uh, to capture about the 30 seconds of a shot. He's really, really cool director. He's, he's one of my favorite editors, too. He's a great editor, yeah. He And he edits his own stuff. Now, this film obviously is the original in this trilogy. It's the best one, in my opinion, by far. The other two are still awesome, though. But I really love Ocean's Eleven. It's, it's, a, it's just a dynamic film. This is when Damon was, like, on top of the world. He did Talented Mr. Ripley, Good Will Hunting, this, then Born Identity... It's like, what a fucking four years that guy... What a five years that guy had. Yeah. On fire. And then I did Ocean's 12, obviously, which came out three years later in 2004. Also, I'm, Andy Garcia is a great villain in that film. And then Ocean's 12, I gave four stars. It's still very good. It, I think it takes a little longer for the vibes to hit, to match the same vibes as the first film. But once it gets rolling, the second half of the film is really perfection. We get Catherine Zeta-Jones... As a new uh, inclusion of the film. You know, I think 12 might be my favorite. It's got the best music. I think 12 might be my favorite. I love the opening of 12. I like the opening. I like with I, Rusty. Well, and, well the, the opening's great, but I'm saying the first hour is not quite the same as the yeah, first hour of Oceans. It is a, a bit repetitive because then we have, um, what's his name? Garcia uh, going through all what's the... He pl- what's his character's name? Um, <laughs> you just watch them. What's I know, I'm terrible Some of the B, for, right? It is. Oh, I got it right here. Terry Benedict. Yeah, Terry Benedict. Because um, he's coming back to get his money. He knows yeah. they took it. That montage doesn't quite work like it, I think it used to. And it's about 15 minutes or so. But once it gets going, it's fantastic. And I think Catherine Zeta-Jones and Brad Pitt have awesome chemistry together. But I love the opening where Rusty comes home and she's telling him about the evidence they found of this guy, this burglar. He's like, oh, oh, really? The boot print. <laughs> the boot print that he just jumps out the window. <laughs> She's like, we'll, we'll know what kind of shampoo, whether he has dandruff or not. And he looks in the shower and he's got like dandruff shampoo, <laughs> whether he dyes his hair. <laughs> this is a great opening. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And then um, Vincent Cassell is great, obviously, as always. He's wonderful as the Night Fox. <laughs> he's awesome. And I, I love the movie. It's just not number one. It's just not number one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I think the music It's the most fun. 
I disagree. I think the first one's the most fun. But I think the first one's better. The second one's the most romantic. It's got some good romance in it. Yeah, because they cut, they cut, they cut the girls out in the third one. They're like, <laughs> yeah. they're excuse- it's, it's not, not their fight. fight. It's not their fight. It's not her fight. <laughs> that's what. That's a quick way to cut the woman out of a script, guys. It's not her fight. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Girls watching that movie are probably like, what a bunch of assholes. What the fuck? <laughs> they. <laughs> they went. They did a good job of adding another female for Ocean's Twelve, but then no females in Ocean's Thirteen. It's not her fight. It's not her. I, I might as well do Ocean's Thirteen while I'm on it. Yeah. Came out in two thousand seven. I also gave it four stars. The movie. The movie franchise is consistent, but I do. I do think number one is the best. But number three, I like number three better than number two. Really interesting. Number three's got the comedy. The end. The third act's great. Yeah. Third act's great. Uh, it doesn't have quite the same stakes, but what they're fighting for is different. They're not just fi- robbing to rob; they're robbing to uh, get back at Al Pacino's character, who is a great, another great villain. Uh, and he plays Al Pacino plays Willie Bank, who's opening the new casino. I think that I think Ocean's Thirteen captured the tone and the vibe and comedy of the first film better than the second film. I think it's from start to finish. Just ha- it's just a lot more fun. One of my favorite scenes entirely from the franchise, though, is in Ocean's Twelve when they have to raise the building and raise the. Plat- That's a great scene. That's yeah. one of my my favorite yeah. heist scenes ever. It's awesome. And then the music and everything. It's mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's yeah. great. It's a lot of fun. And then I I, just, I think this is a really funny one. And just Soderbergh with a hundred million dollars, he can do something special. It's great. Like very few franchise filmmakers are like this talented of directors to really make something as incredible and visually stunning and just a good time these movies are a good time and i also changed all the letterbox posters to the decks of cards so each poster is a deck of cards that's great i saw that yeah it's really i i think it's really fun fun and just it's a good time i love the oceans movies my next watch was a rom-com i was just in the mood for like a, a corny ass campy rom com let's hear and i chose notting hill Hey, it's a good one. Because we talked about yeah, it Julia. in our 1999 episode. So yeah. yeah, Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant in this one. And it's charming. It's sweet. It's it's dumb at times how like they meet. and But it's, it's actually a really good plot and a really good idea in terms of so Hugh Grant plays this humble bookshop owner, just some guy, just a normal dude. And then he has this famous actress, the most famous actress in the world, comes into his store, buys a couple books, leaves. And then he goes out to get a cappuccino after the experience. He's like, that was crazy. I can't believe she was actually in there. But he's very cool about it. He didn't like ask her for an autograph. Like, hey, you're amazing. I love you. He just act- he treated her like a normal human being. Yeah. Which is probably why she ended up liking him. And then he goes to get a cappuccino. or And then he comes back. And he bumps into her around the corner. And then invites her over to like clean herself up. Because he just lives like a block away. And then romance starts. And they start to see each other. But then there's conflicts where she has a famous actor boyfriend and he's like taken aback because she wanted to see him and like they made out a few times and they had a, like a date. They had a couple dates. She met his family. But then obviously it grows and they fall in love. It's really sweet, but it's a great idea of like what would it look like if a celebrity, the most not just a celebrity, the most famous person alive, like Julia Roberts at this time was the most famous person alive, early 2000s, late 1990s. Which is obviously why it works so well. They had so much footage they could use. Like the opening of the film is mm-hmm. just yeah, paparazzi, paparazzi stuff and yeah. her on red carpets and yeah. stuff like that. So they could use that. It worked really well. Ironically, she plays herself playing herself in Ocean's <laughs> 12. <laughs> That's a great sequence. And by the way, nothing like her. Maybe the nose. Maybe but- the- <laughs> <laughs> and your Julie- outfit. Oh, man. Julie- Julie's left-handed, isn't she? <laughs> and... 
it's sweet. It's charming. Yeah. And I, I like it. It's also the movie with the famous line, and I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love me. Exactly. That's where it's, that it's line comes sweet. from. It's very sweet. It's corny as hell at times. Reese Fonz in, is in this movie as Hugh Grant's flatmate. Oh, he's, he's the perfect friend. He is in so funny. Yeah. Disgusting. Just uh, like the dumbest human being alive you could ever imagine. Archetype lead it's, actor's it's really friend funny. of a rom-com. Really just funny. Ridiculous. And it's a funny movie. I yeah. laughed plenty. And it's just like, oh, I just it's need good. something dumb to watch yeah. and silly and make me feel good. And it's hit the spots, man. That's that's why I love rom-coms, man. Sometimes they're just like what the doctor ordered. Exactly. Legit. They don't have to be awesome. I gave it uh, three and a half stars. That's yeah, Sometimes so, that's all you need. Sometimes you just need to watch a corny-ass rom-com and this hits the spot. Exactly. So it's an insanely successful movie, too. It was a big hit. Uh, it also kind of mirrored Julia Roberts' life because she she married a cameraman, mm-hmm. uh, and so it kind of just like is very much full circle for her. Yeah, and I, I feel like some of her monologues, it's just like her speaking to herself. There's a scene I'm where sure she added stuff. Yeah. yeah, there's a scene where they're all kind of like she's at her Hugh Grant's sister's birthday party. It's, it's their like first date, and they have all these ex- they have an extra piece of brownie, and they're all kind of in competition of who's the biggest loser of like who has the worst life. It's funny. And they're all like self-deprecating humor. It's great. And then she's like, wait, I want to, I want an opportunity to get that brownie. They're like, seriously, you're a Hollywood movie star. She's like, you don't know anything about my life. So then she goes on a, on a great monologue about mm-hmm. how she's been on a diet for 12 years, which means she's been hungry since she was 19. <laughs> she can't, every time she has a relationship or a breakup, it gets turned into gossip and news. And so it actually makes you empathize with somebody like that. And she just wants to be, Treated as normal by people. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. But she didn't get the brownie. Who got the brownie? Hugh Grant. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, he used to be handsome, but he's just kind of round on the edges now. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's skinny as fuck in that movie. I know. No, they're like that. It's yeah. a joke. You know? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good movie. All right. My next watch, we're doing a Paul Thomas Anderson spotlight on Thursday. So get ready for that, everyone. And my watch was... The Master, which came out in 2012. It's available on Max if you want to watch it. And I wrote, I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. This is a really special film. This is a movie, I remember seeing it clearly in Boston. We saw it on 65mm film. And at the time, Paul Thomas Anderson was like everything to me for in terms of cinema. So it was really powerful to see the follow-up that There Will Be Blood. And it didn't disappoint. It was really, I mean, how do you follow up There Will Be Blood? You'd make another fucking masterpiece. That's how you do it. As only he can. It's, it's a very unique movie. There's, it's one of its kind. There's really nothing you can compare it to. It's an incredible just odyssey of a bunch of themes and obviously following Freddie Quill, Joaquin Phoenix's character, who I, which I think is Joaquin's best performance. I concur. It's his best performance. He won for Joker. Obviously, he gets all of his attention for Joker and Commodus. But his performance in The Master is fucking one of the best of all time, I think, in my opinion. And also, Philip Seymour Hoffman's really wonderful as well. And, you know, this I just love Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the greatest cinematic directors. He's a visual artist. He's a, he's a literary artist. Um, everything he does is just, in my opinion, absolute gold. And this is one of his greatest achievements. Five stars. Yeah, it's a perfect movie. I, I think it's a masterpiece. And you're right. That's a great point. How do you follow up There Will Be Blood? And How I think he did a great job. Yeah. I think he did a great job. My final watch of the week was also a Paul Thomas Anderson movie in prep for... Which one did you pick? Episode. I picked Phantom Thread. Nice. Which is on Netflix. And another perfect movie. Astounding artistry and filmmaking. And, and Paul is just a master at his craft. And it's so cool to see like 
where his career has come to at this point. You know, his last few films are a lot different than his early movies. And he's just grown so much as an artist, and he's really an auteur. And he's one of the greatest American filmmakers alive, one of the greatest film, American filmmakers ever. And, you know, I love watching his movies and the characters he creates. And this is just a character study of really two, three characters. And it's so sensational. And, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis coming out of retirement to do this movie. And then Vicky Creeps is great. It's sensational. And it's so original. And that's why what makes him such a special filmmaker is all of his movies are so different from each other. They're all unique. I mean, this is a movie about a world-famous dressmaker and designer who it's has a couture mom, dressmaker who has mommy issues and can't love and pushes every woman away but in, but it's, it's a love story but that's what it's about that's like who would ever write a movie like that except for Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> and make a great film it's sensational and oh man it's excellent the music from Johnny Greenwood is chef's kiss how mind blowing is it to know that he's his own dp now well yeah him and, and then uh, and michael his- um his gaffer. His, his former gaffer, yeah. him, they're basically a team. It's unbelievable. So this one, Phantom Thread, there's no credited cinematographer because they, he said it was like a big team a effort. effort. Yeah. But then for Licorice Pizza, him he and is. that guy, Michael, yeah. are the co-DPs. Co-DPs. They, they, credited, they both got credits for it. It's unbelievable because it's one of his best-looking movies. Yeah, for sure. It really is. It's sensational. And then, I mean, Licorice Pizza looks terrific as well. Oh, yeah. Licorice Pizza is fantastic. But, man, Phantom Thread... The imagery in that is some of the best of his entire filmography. It really is. It's unbelievable. Incredible shots, incredible locations. I love the sets, and it's it's just. Uh, I, I was in the kitchen last night, and I heard Daniel Day Lewis saying, "It's as if you rode a horse through the room." Did you hear me cackle? <laughs> yeah, I laughed too. It's got so it's many so good funny. funny lines, man. It's entirely too much movement for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> And then the the looks he gives her, like when they, <laughs> dude, he's he's so good. When they get finally get married, and because he can't stand noise in the morning, and yeah. they're on their Arctic little vacation wherever honeymoon, they are, yeah. their honeymoon, and she's eating toast, and she's like, "I'm married now. I don't give a fuck about the noise." And she's crunching, and he's like looking over, like <sighs> he's never seen her eat with the cereal with a spoon, and she bites down on the spoon when she does it because she's not, she doesn't care about the noise. And anymore. he like he does the biting to. T- He's like, ah, his expression is just like, oh my god, what are I saying? Get away from <laughs> Go skiing, leave me alone. <laughs> it's a great movie. I love it. He's such a brat. <laughs> I still think he's too fussy. All right, that wraps my letterbox recap. Your letterbox recap, guy. What about you? That was it. The master was it. That was it. All right, ten cool. movies, fifteen movies. Nice, nice, not bad. Not bad. So thanks. I'm keeping our average up. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I mean, you're acting like it's a, a crime against the show if I don't watch 17 movies a week. All I'm asking for is I got other things to do. I like to read. <laughs> I like to read. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 it's true. I like to watch. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for tuning into Letterboxd Recap number 17 episodes this week again. Zombies vs. Vampires in Movies was on Monday. It was a great episode to get ready for spooky season. We're going to be decorating the set very soon. We're going to get some more horror going, we promise. A lot of you keep requesting it, but that was a fun little appetizer to get us hungry before we eat. And then also, like Anthony said, Thursday, Paul Thomas Anderson Director Spotlight. You don't want to miss it. We're going to go, obviously, his background, talk about his style as a filmmaker, the growth he's had in the last 20 years in terms of being an artist and a director and a writer, and then just going over each of his films and breaking them down one by one. So I cannot wait, as well as his music videos. He made so many good music videos. It's going to be epic, man. I'm, I'm expecting over three hours. Let's go. I mean, 
We, should we just get like a bottle of wine tonight? And I was it? gonna suggest wine or tequila. Let's do let's do tequila. We'll get sleepy with wine. You get sleepy with wine. Yeah. If you have like a glass of wine after eight o'clock and we do an episode, you're like, oh yeah, I really like March Corsese. Oh. <laughs> That's why tequila, bro. <laughs> or we just get some four locos. Four locos. <laughs> why well, stop there? We have tequila, so I'll make uh, I'll make some margaritas for myself. I was making margaritas. What were you thinking? Just wine? I was just yeah, a glass of wine. I can stay up with a glass of wine. I'm fine. I stay up. I'm just like, in terms of recording, it's like I can't have. I don't have that energy. The, you need stamina for a long episode like have, that. That's that's fine with me. Yeah. Okay. It's fine for me. It just doesn't work for you. It doesn't. I need doesn't. something. I need some tequila yeah. to keep me up. So do whatever you want, man. Live yeah. your life. But again, that's on Thursday. Thank you so much for being listeners of our show. <laughs> you almost said patrons. Being you. If you are a patron, we appreciate it. You can sign up at <laughs> patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. The best way to support our show is to also share us with your film friends and family members who love cinema. Who do you want to hear our uh, recent patrons? Sure. So we got Joshua Smith, Vinal, Sam Monosley, Monsal V, Mark Bergmeier, Jacob Kreeft, Jim, just Jim, just Jim, Joe Emerson, Louis Reyes, and then Joseph Barnes, literally, as we were recording, this became a Godfather patron. Oh my God, Joseph. Thank you, Joseph. We're going to send you a, a video soon, Joseph. So yeah, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You get two bonus episodes every single week. Don't miss out on those. And again, share us with your family members and friends who love movies and leave a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple. It's a great way for us to be seen by new people. Thank you so much for tuning in to Letterboxd Recap on Raiders of the Lost Podcast. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.